Hey everybody, this is Aaron Burdoff with the Wine and Food Experience. Welcome to the first ever Wine and Food Experience interview. I'm very excited to share this with you. For those of you who haven't attended one of my classes around town or visited my blog, I am a wine educator from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I teach people all about how to find a wine you like and how wine interacts with food, the whole experience. Although, you know what, admittedly, I get hired for a lot of bachelorette parties, but you know what, they're classy. They are classy. Don't get any ideas, ladies. If you haven't already, please visit my blog, The Wine and Food Experience, at www.aaronbirdoffwine.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-B-E-R-D-O-F-E-W-I-N-E.com. I post somewhat irregularly on all things wine-related, from why wine and cheese pairing parties suck to the science behind vine-on-vine sex. So, yeah, gets pretty graphic up in there. For this interview, I went down to Four Daughters Winery and Vineyard, and they recently won the Best Wine Overall category at the International Cold Climate Wine Competition in 2012, and that was for their La Crescent. See, Four Daughters has only been around for about a year, so I wanted to see what makes their winemaker, Justin Osborne, tick. What he's doing that skyrocketed them from absolutely you know, nothing, not even being on the Minnesota wine scene, to the very top this past year. And fortunately, Justin was a great guy, and I got him to reveal just about all of his secrets, as you'll see. Uh, if you're a winemaker, you're going to love this. If you're a Minnesota wine drinker, you are going to love this. If you are a wine nerd, you are going to love this. If you are none of the things, then why are you listening to this? Really, seriously. If any of you are interested more in Minnesota wines after this, please check out the Minnesota Grape Growers Association website at mngrapegrowers.com. Or just go to your local winery, or even better, just send me a message and I'll set you in the right direction. You know, in fact, just go ahead and send me a message anyway. Let me know if you want to hear more stuff like this, or even just to say hi. And you know what? I'll probably say hi back. So let me know if you have any wine-related questions. And before you ask, yes, I do have a glass of wine as I am doing this. So that's settled. Anyway, that's www.aaronbirdoffwine.com. A-A-R-O-N-B-E-R-D-O-F-E-W-I-N-E.com. Now check it out. I got shot in the face when I was pumping. Like I, my so not literally with a gun. I got shot in the face when I was with wine. Okay. Yeah, so not with a gun, with wine. And it just it knocked up the microphone, so my... Dang phone only works on speakerphone. Now. Oh, oh, super annoying. All right, so getting back into, I mean, you said your, your dad is kind of this big, powerful businessman kind mm-hmm. of mentality, uh, and that's kind of the atmosphere I'm assuming you kind of grew up in. What, yeah. I mean, did you grow up in cities? Did you? I did. Okay. In in Wyzetta, yeah. I went to Orono High School. Okay. I'm used to it there, actually. In Wyzetta. Oh, Wyzetta, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, your background is not agriculture, I'm assuming, nor is it winemaking. What, what is your background? Uh, my background is actually construction management. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, you know, studied abroad in Italy, you know, lived there for some Okay. Months. So that kind of helped things go. That, like, got the wine thing going, and then, and then my wife and I got married in Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Great place. And, yeah, it was, just always kind of liked it. Yeah. And then my mother-in-law, who lives two miles that way, this is their land. Okay, yeah. They're the agricultural, you know, mm-hmm. big corn and soybean farmers. And uh, she apparently wanted to 
uh, start a winery. I didn't really know about this desire of hers for a while, uh, but then they started talking seriously about it, and they, because I, I liked wine, I liked, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I have tastes for finer things <laughs> that, 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 that I have developed. You know, I'm not, not, I'm not a very uppity person, you know, I'm very, <laughs> you, know, right. you know, I'm more granola probably than anything, but I, I have a taste for like good wine and I like good food, and so, um, she asked if I would be interested in being a winemaker at this winery to be mm -hmm. built in the future. Right. And I very ethereal, very yes, like, not concrete. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, then I started taking classes at Vesta. Okay. With the Vesta program, and then this thing started being built. And, mm -hmm. and that's, where, that's where I am today. It was built. I took, took several classes and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So, I mean, the winery itself is only a year old, just over that yep. now. The vines outside, how old are them? Did you plant those a year ago? Did you uh, plant those before that? We've got one acre that's going on its fourth okay. leaf. Um, and then the other five acres are going to be entering the third okay. this spring. So you're able to pull from that first acre. But the new ones, I mean, coming up? Yeah, and, and it was all kind of sketchy. I mean, yeah. And the, all the growers this year were pretty sketchy. I got shortchanged a lot. Yeah. And so basically the grapes, our first acre, I reserved those because of like the early spring or the weird spring and the frost and stuff. Uh, I didn't count any of that first acre in with production and I just pulled from it to patch mm -hmm. holes that, and I, and I needed it. Yeah. You know, people were shortchanging me. You know, yeah. one guy shortchanged me 5,000 pounds of the crescent. Wow. Wow. Hurts, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are you getting your grapes kind of around here? Within 50 miles. Okay. It's for 70% of the grapes. Yeah. Is this technically in the Driftless region? I think it's a little... Uh, like towards the border. Kind of like the upper Mississippi. Yeah, region. that whole... We, we are. Okay, you so are technically it, it, it does, yep, it does go... I think it maybe goes 20 miles that way. Okay. I have one one grower that is just outside the edge of it, which is an Adams. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And I mean, in Minnesota wine, it's never a deciding factor like no. other wine countries. I and mean, we're like, what? what's an ABA? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's interesting. But you'll be using that. What's the mix of grapes that you have going out there? Uh, well, the first acre is when we didn't know as it was more like like how big is the winery going to be? We yeah. How big the winery yeah. is going to be? And so the first acre is one third um, Saint Croix, one third Frontenac Gris, and one third Rioja. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what one third will give you a hundred thirty make maybe one hundred and fifty gallons, yeah. maybe one hundred and seventy five gallons. So that was kind of a bad bad move. That first acre, also planting front neck grey, you can't swing a dead cat without killing a front neck grey grower who can't sell their grapes. Right. Yeah. Side. Um, then the next five acres we split in one and a quarter sections, and they're on a lighter trellis. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you want, you know, we can, we can go, if you I'll show you a uh, very experimental move, yeah. wire lighter trellis. Uh, people think it would be awesome um, to do, but it's just a ton of labor to build. And that's why I say it's not feasible because of all the labor to build. Well, we, we built it. And um, it's uh, one and a quarter acres of Edelweiss, Brianna, uh, 
Marquette and Frontenac. Okay. And that was just picked those because we really like Brianna. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like the Rose and Frontenac. Yeah, and right. And um, you know, Marquette is something I think that could really benefit from from a, a new trellising system. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Definitely want to talk about Marquette and the press in particular. But so getting back to your first batch of wine mm-hmm. that you made, what was it? Uh, How well did it go? The, the first batch, well, the chiller, you know, we all the tanks are temper, temperature controlled. Yeah, so you did this through the program, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, oh, the first batch of wine I did it through Vesta? I, anywhere. Anywhere. Oh, anywhere. Your first batch ever. Ever? Oh, it was a, I, through Vesta, like you, you know, yeah. like Vesta 101, you buy a wine kit. Yep. yep. You, do, you do it at home, and I, I did an Island Mist. Okay. Yep. One, if you're familiar with Island Mist, and it's a low alcohol sweet version, yeah. which was probably a pretty good, right? you know, pretty, you know, it's like, I didn't know at the time, but it's like, yes, that's the wine that my customers are going to <laughs> like to drink, is the Island okay. Mist. Okay, yeah, so it was very... Nice. And and I, I need to open up a bottle of that because I thought it was pretty good, you know. But then uh, the professor, um, I think I got like a C on it, and I was mm-hmm. kind of like, I did it, you know. I followed the directions. I don't, I didn't know how much. It was hard. I didn't know how much, like I, like how am I supposed to affect this one? I just right. followed the directions, and it's right. all like packets, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just dumping it that night. Yeah, Yeah, the guy's like, well, it smells like. Acetaldehyde and all this stuff. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. I don't taste it. So I need to go back and try to try some of those again. <laughs> you know, just because I still have some yeah. from that first kit. Yeah, definitely. And just see, you know. So I did that one, and then I did a, an Amarone because mm-hmm. I the best wine I ever had was an Amarone. Yeah. That was terrible. I just tried. I tried one of that recently, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it was the oak powder. Mm-hmm. It just tastes like someone shaved a pencil and mixed yeah. it in there. It's. I mean, I know more now that I tried it. I still don't know exactly right. why it tastes so horrible. And then I did a. Um, then I did a uh, type of a champagne, like a sparkling chardonnay. Yeah. That one was really good. That one went off well. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, that was it. Yeah. Then it was after those five gallon batches, I just tried my hand at five hundred. Yeah. 500 gallons. 500. Yeah, how's the scaling process with that? Well, I find that I care more about 500 gallons than 5 gallons. That's a good point. So you watch it really closely. Yeah. Um, my first batch here um, was a 500 gallon batch of Brianna, and all the tanks were jacketed. Our chiller was late, it did not show up. So I was like, okay, I, don't, I guess we'll fire this thing out. I mean, other people. Other people do. I don't know. You know, I don't know how people control temperature yeah. in other places. I know how I, I can do it with this, but if you don't have jack cooling, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. So I inoculated and came back the next morning, and the thing was at like 90, 92 degrees, mm-hmm. which is a big no-no on the white wine. Yep. And so we ran a hose with cold water, you know, from the well mm-hmm. through the jackets, just kind of trickling through, try to slow that thing down and. Couldn't, and that that Brianna was done in like four days. Right. Still turned out to be pretty good. Yeah. So it's funny because now I'm actually recreating that accident, right. you know, for this year. Yeah. So I think fast and hot for Brianna is actually something that interesting that can work. Yeah. Yeah. It's complete accident. Complete accident. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I guess you aren't uh, a winemaker that is really concerned with the uh, technical technical specs well, of each wine. I mean, do you have ranges that you try to stay within for well, each one? You know, that was then. This is you know, this is now. Now I am, I, I am pretty. You know, I'm pretty anal about about this stuff. You know, like two two degrees. You know, I I'm yeah. concerned about two degree difference. You know, actually, this is how concerned I am. As we, you can see right through there, I, we just set up all those uh, controllers through there yep. to individually control the temperature of every tank. Yeah. So um, the difference between 55 and 57 does actually yeah. mean something to me. I don't know what I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have temperature control tanks. Because mm -hmm. to me, that's that's everything. Right. So cold fermentation all the way, mm -hmm. cold stabilization. Um, yeast strains, I noticed you are something a little bit picky about, at least to put it on the uh, tasting menu uh, for some of yours. But I mean, is it something that you really get nerdy about, or because I mean, there's a whole subculture with picking your yeast strains. Okay. Well, my I have a. And right now it's proprietary, <laughs> but I, I have I have two I, I have found two that are complementary. Yeah, and you know they're pretty common. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had phenomenal success with these complementary yeast strains, um, and, and you know and, and for the for the most part, um, you know like the most common yeast that I will use is just a regular old PDM Christa yep. Moose. You know, I like to taste taste the grape. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I don't know. I, that, that's that's the most fail-safe one for me. You know, you get you get good flavor out of it, and you also um, it also ferments very cold, which is which is good for me. Yeah. Um, if if you do you know other stuff, you know, like I went a little weird on this 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 last one we had. I mean, this taste smells. This is bizarre. <laughs> I think I think it'll be I think it'll be very good uh, once it's cleaned up. But you know, I'm, it's interesting, and you kind of you get a few that are interesting, and then a few staples. Again, like right. Willersheim, yeah. they've got a really nice like dry dry riesling that I mm -hmm. really like, and I just I'm sure that's like a PDM. It's kind of just crisp and light and white grapey, and that's yeah. I'm not the smartest winemaker in the world, you know? <laughs> so I'm just, I'm not trying to rewrite, you know, I'm just, you know, there's, there's just, hey, you do, you know, you do these, like, four things well, yeah, and stay, don't draw outside of the lines, yeah. you do those things really well, yep. you'll have a good end product. So what are those four things, or three or five? Those four things? Um, well, I had a, I had a down, I took it down recently, actually. Um, well, it was, it was... Grow, grow good grapes. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it, and it, these are very big and broad. Right. Yeah. So, like, grow good grapes or crush good grapes um, to uh, get good juice out of those good grapes. Um, after that, was uh, have a healthy, healthy fermentation, mm -hmm. and and it was deft hand refining, and that was. I mean, it may sound like a lot, but I mean, there's just 
as long as you're just like thinking about these things, you know, like don't don't press the you know what out of your grapes. Yeah. You know, just get get good you know get, get high quality juice out of those grapes. Uh, for, you know, for your fermentation, just you know, it's simple. Just make sure there's enough nutrients in the juice. Yeah. Make sure it's a cold temperature. Keep keep it at that temperature, and then just let it go. And if when it nears the end, kill the kill the cold, so it, so it, you know the yeast have it can just kind of accelerate a bit and then you know right this right hit, get that dryness um and then for finding agents you know afterwards you know i do a lot of a lot of testing mm-hmm. and you know do i want to use three do i want to use 3.5 do i want to use four pounds of bentonite per thousand gallons um do i even need bentonite yeah you know i'm gonna add tannin one two three, you know a lot of lab work so i know exactly what I need and what I don't need. Mm-hmm. And it's all about being anal. Right. <laughs> about certain things. Yes. Right. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So uh, in terms of number one I mean, quality rates, mm-hmm. do you find that to be an issue? I mean, are you going in there like, here's my uh, spread. I need this amount of bricks, I need this amount of acid, and I need this amount of you know, compounds in there. I mean, do you have those numbers kind of lined up, or do you trust the growers more um, to give you what they have? Or? Well, I there was a winery that shared. It was Carlos Creek. They shared their their pay scale for growers, and it, it had, hey, these are the numbers mm-hmm. um, that we're looking for. We'll pay you X amount for these yep. numbers. Have you seen that yep. sheet? Maybe okay. Uh, I I tried to implement that last year. Uh, it didn't really work. Um, at least for us, the growers were not coming close to the numbers on there. Yeah. Maybe that was by design. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the winery or, the, or the, the growers that were, you know, good wine seemed to come from the flavor as opposed to the chemistry that they brought it in at. Right. Because I can very easily adjust the chemistry. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that, I, that, I've, that I'm good at and people have said over and over again is I'm yeah. very good at managing acidity. Okay. Which is so, a big problem in Minnesota. Yeah. So I'm really that sugar, that sugar and 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 that acid is not. I'm not super concerned with that. That um, it's more about if the grapes are in the sun. In in my opinion, yeah, in his too. Yeah, um, the grapes are in the sun. I feel like they're going to develop these. You know, all the all the compounds. Yeah. you know that make for flavor because like you know you can't put flavor in you know in a wine you know right the crescent that was last year that was grapefruit you know that was that was luck you know that that was most likely a thiol that was firing up at some point and we mm-hmm. just happened to, to pick the grapes when that those thiols i guess they fire up and they, and they they're in and out in two weeks we happened to catch it at the right time um we fermented it at a with the yeast that happened to expose, you know, thiol-related aromas mm-hmm. or, you know, volatize it. And, you know, it was luck, but it was still in there. And I think, it, you know, you're not going to get those 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 thiols and those esters and all those great aromas if your grapes are buried underneath, underneath you know, a bunch of foliage. So whenever we talk to growers, really, usually hand them a book called Sunlight in the Wine by Richard yep. Smart and say, get your grapes in the sun. Okay. And so that... 
if you do that, I don't think there's anything else you can really do besides get them in the sun. Right. This is Patrick. Patrick? Aaron Burdoff. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Patrick, Spinner Manager, my brother in law. Family connection, though. Yep. Good deal. Everybody's got a family um, so then going on to your, your crush at that point, I mean, you just get the grapes here. I mean, everybody's got their own particular crush process. I mean, are you starting to do a crush in the field for the first one, or you just you know, bring them back here? And uh, to everyone, everyone brings them back here. Yeah. And, you know, for some, you know, I, I'm on a panel um, talking about this for the whole climate conference, but mm -hmm. some people have problems getting the grapes here, like... There's a problem with people using cardboard boxes or things with bags or, or rubber maids that don't have holes in it yeah. and you know, crush the grapes and, and uh, you know, they're, they're fermenting by the time they get here. Yeah. So, and some people are happy to just decide that it's easier to just let them sit on the trailer until the next morning because they, oh, yeah. they don't really feel like bringing them right Right, away. yeah. Why would they want to do that? And, <laughs> and so, so, so our crush process, I guess, you know, what would be notable about ours is it's usually um, all, the night of. All, mm -hmm. You know, um, if we have grapes and if it's relatively feasible to, to get it, usually if you can get it done by 3 or 4 in the morning, uh, then I'll stay and get them all crushed and don't let them sit out. So when people bring grapes, uh, we have incentives that where people bring bring us their grapes uh, in, um, you know, as they as they pick them, you know, they bring us two pick two thousand pounds, bring two thousand pounds, you know, um, so we can get a head start on it, and that way the grapes are always pressed yeah. as immediately as possible. Mm -hmm. So if if we have something notable, it's probably going to be that. I don't know if other people spend all, you know spend all night crushing until 4 a.m. Maybe they have a bigger press than we have because we have a woefully inadequate press. Right. Um, Seems big at first. Which is, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just crush it right away. That's probably the only thing that we do that may be different from somebody else. Right, yeah, okay. And then, I mean, you've got a lot of fairly small batches. I mean, if we look at regular wine industry compared to Minnesota wine industry these are actually pretty big batches mm -hmm. uh, going in but do you think that that small batch approach is what allows you to do more lab work and a little more tinkering on the back end or uh, no uh, and these you know we've got we have one two three four five I'm going to do like nine batches at a time of whites yeah I think if we could do everything over again, if, if, if you could know the size we would probably be, uh, I would say that we would probably get six of the, like the 1,300 gallon tanks, mm -hmm. you know. That'd make it a little, a little easier. Because um, it, was, it was hard keeping, keeping track this year, I think a little bit. Um, but yeah, we, we had no clue what the size. Mm -hmm. when, when, we, when we first bought what this what this looked like last year at this time? We had five five hundreds and that one and that one. Wow! And then and then you know we have added these three. You know we've essentially well more than doubled, you know, almost tripled our capacity in the past year. Hmm. So I don't I don't like to do a lot of small batches. Yeah. 
first deal. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Tinker around with it a little bit and then get it out. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, I think it's common in the Midwest, unfortunately, that a lot of the wine drinkers in the area are, uh, they prefer the, the sweeter mm -hmm. tasting wines. Uh, I mean, do you let that kind of mold your style as you go forward? Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, not quite our well, levels, but well, it's what people like. I mean, right. I mean, you know, there was a winery. That's, there's a winery in the area that's very small, mm -hmm. and they've and they come in, come in here, and they've said, like, like, oh, this is good, but we don't drink sweet wines, so, right. we, so we don't make sweet wines. I am personally not going to drink twelve thousand five hundred gallons of wine. No, so I just need to make. Probably 50 gallons of wine, you know. Yeah. I mean, I need to make 2,000 gallons of wine that are that are dry, you know, for the dry wine drinkers. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to be in business if you don't give people what they want. Right. And that's that's all. You know, that's all we are here to do is give people what they what they want. Yeah. You know, and they, and they like the sweet wine. And in fact, our sweetest wine, our uh, our sparkling Moscato, won a double gold at the Indy yep. Indy one. So. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, they want sweet wine, I just have to make the best sweet wine that I can make, and uh, it was one of the top 141 wines or how many double golds were awarded right. at that competition. So you must be doing something right. Yeah, but I mean, it was... Matching the quality with kind of your customer preferences. Yeah, I mean, just, there's there's a lot of stereotypes in, or stigmas in wine, you know, mm. ethics, uh, <laughs> proper protocol, you know, that we really aren't doing here. Yeah. Our tasting menu goes actually starts off with one of the sweetest tasting ones, yes. and then kind of goes. It's more of a batting order, we think. You know, yeah. it's like okay, this wine pairs well with this one. You know, yeah. the taste instead of just yeah, dry you know, just clean up. Yeah, <laughs> well, actually, big boy, big boy bats clean up. Big boy bats clean up. Yeah, yeah. There's a what is that? No, I hope it's not Wasn't it making that noise when from in front of shut off? No. So, um, I mean, you went to Italy, you fell in love with wines there. Did you think that influenced a lot of your style? I mean, you've got sparkling Moscato. No, I mean, unfortunately, I think this, like the style, styles are, are kind of what, your style, I think, is, is, at least for me, my style is going to go wherever I have success, mm -hmm. I think. It's like, okay, this is good. And right now, it seems, to, seems like the sparkling wines are some of, some of the better wines, yeah. or like the crisp, the mm -hmm. crisp whites. Yep. I'm a red wine drinker. I wish I wish I were. A, I wish I made the <laughs> most massive red right. cabs in the world. Right. You know, um, but I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's going to be. Me. I. You know, my the Marquettes are pretty good. You know, the big boy is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but. I think the, the whites. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what kind of whites are you emulating? I mean, are you looking towards the Germanic Rieslings? Are you looking more for uh, kind of the Washington style? Uh, well, for for Riesling, you know, like in particular, you know, I would. You know, I don't even I don't even know if it's if it's really emulating. It's more of just like like oh okay, I like this style of wine. Um, like again, the 
the Wollersheim Fosch. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I like this style of wine. I, I really like this particular one. I think this is what they did. And then, and then I, I will do it. I guess I'm not, I'm not trying to... It's where I guess I don't really look at it. I mean, I, I look at it more maybe in a in a um, practices, you know, like 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 winemaking practices and like a style. This style, is right? Like, like, well, I guess explain like what's the difference between like a Germanic and Washington Riesling in, in your opinion? Well, Germanic Rieslings would have a steely, very acidic, very minerally. I uh, get a little of that oil in there as well. Just basically, the difference between cold and hot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well. What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do the Germanic. Okay. That didn't work last time. I have better juice mm-hmm. uh, this time. Uh, uh, it's closer, but but no matter what, you know, I'm going to, you know, I can't really, aff- I can't get grapes from Germany. Right. You know, <laughs> and so I asked for cold climate Washington grapes. Yes. And who knows if I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows. And... Um, Basically, I will just I will I will make it the same way that they make it in Germany. You know? Right. Okay. You know, so you're following the process, I'm not necessarily the, the outcome. Yes. Okay. The outcome. You know, I'll try. You know. Yeah. But but yes, I, I am I am following the process. So right. so for example, you know, we want we want massive. You know, Marquette, everyone's trying to make the biggest Marquette that they can make. Everyone, everyone wants to turn Marquette into Cabernet, which is not. Right. I'm falling into that trap, too. So, <laughs> so I'm, 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 like, the Marquette tried super extraction this year. Mm-hmm. Um, 90, well, use, use fruity, yeast that make fruity wine that can withstand high temperatures. Right. So I'm getting up 90, 92 degrees. Massive extraction, long cold soak, you know, yep. two week cold soak, you know, uh, super hot fermentation, some pulse fermentation maceration, letting it sit there, even though actually, um, you know, it doesn't do any good, they, they kind of freak out. Um, and then as a backup, you know, in case that shot all the fruit on that Marquette, um, I made some Frontenac, which is an abundance of fruit on the. Uh, on the nose, at least, uh, you know, in case that needs to be blended. So, right, right. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just rambling here. I'm just trying to, just, you know, <laughs> like as far as the style, you know, I know the process that it takes right. to, to recreate these styles, and I'm trying, you know, just trying them out on Mark, you know, Marquette. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I haven't been doing it very long. People haven't been doing Marquette very long. Nobody really knows. Right. Well, let's let's get into that Marquette and Lacrosse in particular, because at the Cool Country Competition this past year, and those were the top two billers, really. Marquette, far and away, they won the most awards out of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lacrosse second, and then obviously you took the cake on that one, uh, and then Frontenac after that, with you know, the mm-hmm. rest of the cold climate varieties. But where do you see Marquette going? I mean, do you see people really? Keeping with this big style that you know, trying to emulate the cab, or you see it faltering a little bit. Because what, what I know is particular Marquettes is they have that layer of herbaceousness, there's that shooting direction that puts a lot of people off. And the ones that won were the ones that were oaked. I mean, the reserve took the cake on that one, and that was heavily oaked. And so that's kind of what I've been seeing again to get a bigger feel. But what's your what's your take on Marquette? Well, it's interesting because you know, like cabs, you know, they suffer from that, that uh, 
methyl yeah. pyrazine or whatever, that, you know. Yeah. Um, and there are like two ways to deal with it, and one of that is to just hit it hard with the you know. Right. And so it's funny that you say it, yeah. So maybe that it must be working for them. <laughs> that place is Vermont, right? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, people will always try to make that mark headed in something as, as big as it is. You know, I think that. It was very, very interesting. Uh, they found that Marquette because I called, I called and asked Katie Cook. Yep. I asked her if I could take because I made this rose blend here with Savoie, Saint Croix, Frontenac, and Marquette. Mm -hmm. It was in there, and I it was a rose, so I had all the skins. Yep. And I was pressing, and then I was making Marquette later, and I said, "Hey, what would happen if I, if I dumped?" all those skins in with my Marquette fermentation to try and up the tannin. Yeah. And she said, well, our studies have shown that tannin added at any point in a Marquette, ex with the exception of the end, the aging, the yeah. bulk aging process, doesn't take, it falls out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you say that, it's, she's basically saying, it is impossible to make a Marquette bigger. Right, right. It's she's saying it's impossible. Like mm -hmm. like they have they have tested it and it because of like the anthocyanin content, it these tannins drop out. And you know, if you're gonna got you know, what's gonna make the best market? I would say probably a guy who's experienced in Pinot Noir mm -hmm. is gonna come in and probably make the best market. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, those are Aaron Burdo. Adam is Aaron. Aaron, nice to meet you. Um, then moving on to Lacrescent in particular. And you're, it's kind of your baby for this past year in terms of Minnesota wine goes. I don't know if you have any higher standing with it in your own wine. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but I, I think Lacrescent is definitely. It's probably one of you know, it's either Marquette or Crescent that has the most the most promise. I mean, obviously St. Croix won that huge the Indian Awards, yep. you know, with the with the dessert, the Crescent. Uh, we've had people basically smuggle cases out of here and sell them in their shops in California. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been calling back one. Yeah, they only have to be one more, yeah. Um, it's you know, people say that they Crescent, it tastes like a reason. It tastes like a university. Well, you know, now it's kind of like well, the Crescent is, in my opinion, when it's done right, it should, you know, it should have its own category. You know, right. you got Riesling, University, or Crescent. Yeah. Not the Crescent is like a poor man's Riesling. You know, it's, it seems like that's a grape that's really got a lot of promise to, you know, maybe go other places. Right, yeah. Especially if you can get that grapefruit, you know, I mean, if, if what we did, if we can start recreating that, mm -hmm. yeah. imagine people buy that off the, off the shelf in right. yeah. any country in the world. <laughs> but, although, we'll have to figure out the acidity a little bit. Always a problem. You know, but it, it could also be a good blending partner for, you know, these reasons, like, you know, these, these hot climate reasons. Yeah. So. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, so those are all kind of the type of questions. Do you have anything you need to do? 
anytime Eat soon. Food. <laughs> we can do that too. Uh, the only remaining questions had are kind of related to uh, the name of the place, Four Daughters. Where is that? Uh, well, where does that come from? That's um, Gary. Okay. He has four daughters. Okay. That's what I assume. I, I, you know, something looking at you, I'm like, you don't look like a daughter <laughs> to me. Uh, <laughs> you think you'll kind of increase your perspective of Marquette and Lacrosse in particular? Because of well, Lacrosse is hard to find. So it's really, yeah, and I see our plan line growing it. Well, see what the crescent is going to grow. Ah. So there you have it. That was the first ever interview for the wine and food experience. And you know what? I think it went pretty well. Just two dudes standing around talking about wine. Pretty interesting. Thank you, Justin, for allowing me to come down and do the interview, especially thanks to his wife, Kristen, who, as we learned, is one of the four daughters. Thank you for setting this whole thing up. And yes, full disclosure, as you heard at the end there, we did enjoy some wine and food before I had to head back up into the snow, back to Minneapolis. If you want to hear more interviews like this, visit my blog at www.aaronbirdoffwine.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-B-E-R-D-O-F-E-W-I-N-E.com. And drop me a line. Let me know what you thought. Take a read around the site. See what else you like there. And you know what? In the meantime, I need to go find another glass of wine. So, see you later.